DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're working our way all the way through this quarter, God's Mission, My Mission. And this week we're on Lesson 8, titled Mission to the Needy. And the the title itself is kind of interesting because it implies that there are some people who are needy and other people who are not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think as we go through this, we're going to find out that while there are some who might be in particular dire straits need, all of us have a need and it can Mm. only be met in Jesus. Amen. So we're going to get into that this week. I actually put the talking points together, so I'll walk through it if you would start us off with an opening word of prayer. Yes, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimony of your word, the privilege we have of being able to come together and study it together. We ask for a special blessing on all of our churches and our Sabbath school teachers as they're going to be leading out in this lesson, even now as some are preparing and they're watching talking points. But uh, Lord, we pray for those who come to the class too, that they'd be blessed by what they hear and that we would all become doers of the word that we study, uh, that we may uh, truly be a blessing to those in need. We ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I want to pick up real quick on your prayer there. You said that we may do or be doers of the word. You know, and one of the things we're noticed, and I think we're going to revisit it at the end, is there's a lot of like, think about this, ponder this, or even pray for this, consider mm-hmm. this. Okay, but as we highlighted last last week's lesson, right. I should say, highlighted the fact that thinking about it, praying about it, considering it, that's a good first step. But yeah. Jesus would say, do this. go and do. Right. Yeah. And so... As we study this week, let's not keep it's it as It's interesting that twice in that parallel, the, uh, that parable that Jesus told, well, in that encounter with the with the lawyer last week, he comes to him and he's like, yeah, how's your reading of the law? Well, I think you ought to do this. And Jesus, or I think it says this. And Jesus says, you've answered rightly now, go and do this. But who's my neighbor? And so he gives him the goods. Who is neighbor to him? This guy. Okay, do it. Like, <laughs> yeah. So the appeal was unmistakable. <laughs> right. He's like, go do what you know to do. So we're going to learn what to do this week, and that's great, but we want to appeal to apply in our lives. But essentially, our memory verse comes from Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, where it says, And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Of course, that's the parable at the end time that's when right. Christ the comes again. The, the sheep and the goats. Right. So we want to learn how to do that before that time comes so we can actually right. be about our Father's business. And this week, uh, the if I were to put it in just simple terms, the lesson focuses, as the title implies, about our mission to the needy, but it draws out, kind of fleshes out who is the needy in our lives, or kind of like the question from last week, who is my neighbor yeah. Who are these needy? And we're gonna... I thought you were going to say, if I were to put it into three points. <laughs> well, I, I am going to say... put it into three points. And we do have three talking points this week. And talking point number one says, Jesus exemplified ministry to the needy. That's going to come from Monday and Wednesday and a lot of scripture, too. Yes, all right. <laughs> He's the example for us, of course. Uh, talking point number two, the world is full of needy people. All right. It's Tuesday and Wednesday. We're going to kind of address, is it a certain subset or what are we looking at in the needy? And finally, talk point number three, the aim of all ministry is to lead people to Jesus. Amen. And that's all. That's a through line, particularly Sabbath, Sunday, and all Thursday right. of this lesson. So let's get started with number one, Jesus exemplified ministry to the needy. And I would ask you to look up a text that's not sure. actually in our past, in our study this week, but I had to throw it in there, and it's Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Mm. As you're right. looking that up, a little background, of course, this is Peter when he was sent to the household of Cornelius to preach Jesus to them. Yes. And so these are some people who never met Jesus in real life, who are not even Jews themselves, but they'd heard about Jesus. And 
Peter was trying to explain in simple terms the life and ministry of Jesus. And verse 38 explains yes, it this way. Yes, in fact, verse 37, he talks about the word mm-hmm. that they heard that was proclaimed uh, after the, John the Baptist preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Amen. So he's like, if I could sum up the whole yeah, ministry of absolutely. Jesus, he was anointed by God and he went, went about, about doing, doing good, good right? Fantastic. And Je- Jesus understood that from his own prophetic mm-hmm. mission. You can find this in Luke chapter 4. It says here, so he came to his hometown, to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as the custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And this place, of course, we know today is Isaiah chapter 61. Mm-hmm. And he quotes it saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Mm. And the plot thickens in verse 20, because I'm guessing him just reading that was not so radical right. until he says there, in the eyes, then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, okay. this scripture is fulfilled mm. in your hearing. He's essentially saying, this is me. Is me right? That's right. So Jesus didn't just happen to go about doing good. It was his prophetic mission that drove him. He understood it from scripture and he put it into practice. And fascinatingly, as we dig into the inspired sources even farther, we find out that this was not just a notable aspect of his public ministry in the closing years of his life, right? This was actually his a through life of his entire earthly existence. Mm-hmm. There's a statement fascinating and from Sirevages, page 92. Would you read that, yes, please? Yes, it says, Jesus was the healer of the body as well as of the soul. He was interested in every phase of suffering that came under his notice, and to every sufferer he brought relief. His kind words having a soothing balm. Now, if we pause right there, I should give the context. This statement is not talking about the public ministry of Jesus in his 30s. This is about his childhood mm-hmm. and how he behaved even from his youth. Goes so on. it's interesting. So the suffering he was bringing, the, the way he was bringing relief at that point wasn't by healing. Exactly right. It was by the way he spoke and comforted. Yeah, he just cared for people. Goes on to explain uh, none that. None could say that he had worked a miracle, but virtue, the healing power of love, went out from him to the sick and distressed. This is an unobtrusive no, way. Thus, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Thus, in an unobtrusive way, he worked for the people from his very childhood. And this was why, after his public ministry began, so many heard him gladly. Mm. Now, I, I, I love that last sentence. And this was why, after his public mm. ministry began, so many heard him gladly. So, I really wrestle, I'm not sure exactly what that's saying. Does that mean that the ministry Jesus did in the first 30 years of his life was so um, so well known, so evident that people trusted him when he started speaking prophetic truths, mm-hmm. right? Or did he continue to carry this style of ministry into his public sphere and it was that that continually opened hearts and I don't know if yes. you have to choose between them exactly. It's like he, from his childhood into his adulthood, Jesus right. had one model of ministry, which was to meet their needs. Mm. And then, as we're going to see later, bid them follow right. me. All right. So it's evident that in the life of Jesus, from his childhood to his youth, in his own experience, that his the, the evidence of his divine character was seen in this aspect, that yes. he was, his works were true, right? For instance, 
earlier in that same statement where it talked about the childhood ministry of Jesus in Five Ages, page 92, on page 90, it says, at times Mary, that's his mother, wavered between Jesus and his brothers who did not believe that he was the sent of God. But evidence was abundant that his was a divine character. She saw him sacrificing himself for the good of others. Mm. So even from the childhood, even those doubts that she had in her mind were were calmed by the witnessing of his disinterested, benevolent character. He was sacrificing himself for others. Right. It's beautiful. In John chapter 10, in fact, I think you have that one looked at. Once you look up John 10, and I'll look up John 14, and when Jesus was in his public ministry, people would question his right. credibility, his authenticity, and what would he tell them? John 10, 25 says, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Mm. And in John chapter 4, now that was to his opponents, by the way. That mm-hmm. was his adversary. Now, this is to his own disciples. He writes in uh, John chapter 14, verse 11. He says, says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Mm-hmm. So he laid his statements about his divinity, but he backed it up with the evidence in his own life and character. Well, my mind was drawn when we were looking at Isaiah 61. We looked at it there in Luke 4 when he went into the synagogue. But I thought about how he used the same passage to prove to John the Baptist in prison that yes. he was who he was, right? He was the Messiah. John sends the messengers, are you the one or do we look for another? And he says, you go back and tell John what I did. And it basically says in Luke seven twenty-two, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. So this is, this again, is his evidence. He knows that when John hears that, he's going to say, yeah, this is He's like, one. you compare my works mm-hmm. to the word, and they're going to match. And that's your evidence, right? And of course, as the memory verse drew from in Matthew chapter 25, right. it's this very Christ-like character that will be the determinant of our eternal destiny, right? Do we truly reflect the Father and his love, or was it just a pretense? Was it just a, a, a claim? So we're not going to study through it right now, but you remember the, the separating of the sheep and the goats in Matthew right. chapter 25. The ones who did good for others without knowing it was Jesus are the ones who were invited in, where the other ones say, essentially, we would have done it if we'd have known it was you. Right. He's like, you, you're only doing it for reward. But when you don't know it's me, when all the lights are off, when no one's around, are you truly that person that I was and that mm. God sent me to be? Are you like Jesus, right? And that brings Great me to God. this statement, Acts of the Apostles, page 551. Why don't you read that one it for says, us? says, the completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within. That grasped me, that little constantly. It's not just periodically. And it's from within. Mm -hmm. So it's not an external, what I can get out of it, what other people are going to see kind of thing. It is the atmosphere of this love surrounding the soul of the believer that makes him a savior of life unto life and enables God to bless his work. Beautiful. So again, the whole first point of that talking point is that Jesus is our example in this ministry to the needy. Mm -hmm. And just as it was his evidence of divinity, it's our evidence of a Christ-like connection when we reflect it in our lives. Jesus exemplified ministry to the needy. Right. Now, who are these needy? Kind of like last week's question, uh, who is my neighbor? Well, as we find out, the world is actually full of needy people. 
It is, kind of, you know, remember the, the ruler, the, the lawyer rather, asked that question because he thought, well, this is so complex, how could I minister to my neighbor? Because it's hard to figure out who he is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is even like, can you imagine that here? Who are needy people? Like everybody. everybody. Right, anyway. right. Well, and, and like you see neighbor. this, well, sometimes I think, especially as this lesson pointed out, we're going to be looking at immigrants and refugees and, mm -hmm. and people who are oppressed or impoverished. Yes. All of which is true, right? Obvious needs. Obvious needs. But if you look at the ministry of Jesus, for example, if you just do a quick survey of the early chapters of John, right? In John chapter 3, he ministers to Nicodemus, who was not poor, who mm -hmm. was not, you know, in other yep. trouble, but he had a deep need and Jesus yes, met with him. that's right. Then he goes to the woman at the well in the next chapter, John chapter 4. Now, she had a different need. She had guilt uh, for a lifestyle that she was leading. She might have been disconnected from but her community. But it wasn't, she wasn't wearing it on her sleeve, per Exactly. Se. He, he had to dig around. Now, the paralytic in John chapter 5, who's let down through the roof, obvious need. <laughs> Let's help right. him. And then you get to John chapter 6, the hungry crowds. You have hungry people, you have paralyzed people, you have sin-strict people, you have confused leader people who might be hypocrites or something. And Jesus looks at all of that and he addresses all of their needs. That's kind of his MO, right? I think that's such a great point because I wonder to myself how many needy people we've overlooked because they didn't seem needy to us. Come on now. Like even going to church every week and we just, oh, everybody looks okay. Well, mm -hmm. you know, and then you hear about somebody, you know, doing some tragic thing or leaving the church or, or you know, you this, how many suicides mm -hmm. are from a person that's like, oh, I never Didn't saw Didn't see that coming. coming, yeah. So, yeah, just we should be always looking to minister to everybody we have an opportunity to minister. God yes. forbid we miss opportunities because we are... Basically, uh, what does it say in Ecclesiastes? He regards the whim will not so, right? Mm. You don't know that. Like, we need to minister to anybody who comes within our, our exactly right. circle of influence. Exactly right. I put in the notes, this call to help others encompasses all humanity, including those with whom we may not have things in common in terms of nationality, language, political views, economic status, lifestyle choices. And honestly, that, those are when it can be difficult. It's like, I don't like right. I don't like the choices you made to get yourself in this thing. I don't like your politics. Mm -hmm. You don't you yeah. could start saying all the ways that oh there's somebody else to help them. So right. we, there isn't a somebody else. We are the somebody else to right. somebody else. Who is my neighbor? Yeah. Uh, Sabbath afternoon there was a great statement in there. It says uh, in paragraph 1, sometimes it's easy to tell who's in need of help and other times mm -hmm. it's difficult to know. Whatever the situation, we're called to be God's helpers for all people in need, regardless of their background. And this was yes. one of the through lines of this particular lesson. Like, what about someone who do does come from another nation mm -hmm. or is a political outcast or is, um, you know, through their own lifestyle choices have put themselves in. A... But you notice that Jesus would heal people because you might think like, oh, well, he was born blind. You got to help him. But Jesus would heal people at times and then say, now go and send a more, lest a worse thing come upon right. you. Right. Like, you know what got you into this. Now let's reform that too. But he still helped them, right? right? So we should be, what's that great term that Sister White used? Practicing disinterested benevolence. benevolence. Like, I'm not trying to get something out of you. You're not just my friend. You think of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if you only help those who already like you, you know, like, right. what reward is that? Like, even the, even the uh, tax collectors do mm -hmm. that. But if you want to be perfect, just help everybody, right? Right. There's another statement on Wednesday, paragraph one. Why don't you read that one? It says, Who among us hasn't experienced just how hurting our world really is? Whether living in an environment of wealth and materialism or living in an environment of poverty and material needs, it doesn't matter. People are hurting, suffering, struggling, 
All one has to do, for instance, is read about the staggering amount of money spent on antidepressants in the Western world each year to understand that material wealth alone does not even come close to guaranteeing happiness or peace. Mm. So when we say the point. needy, I don't know about you, but oftentimes my mind goes, well, that means they're in physical need, either they're hurting, or they're financial need, they're impoverished. And they're maybe carrying they're... a sign that says, I'm in need. Exactly. It's like, I... oh, look at their clothing, <laughs> look at their circumstances, you know. But if mm. we were to, which I don't want to gloss over, we absolutely, absolutely have a duty to them, no doubt. But... That doesn't, I don't want to accidentally imply that everybody else is not in need. Right. Because, again, look at the ministry of Jesus. There were people who had deep needs that may not be so evident by external, you know, manifestations. But that doesn't make them less needy. So, we want to minister to everyone, regardless of their nationality, language, culture, background, circumstance, all the different things you can say. But let's get now to the third talking point, which kind of... Mm. Well, I want to introduce, there's a statement in Education, the book Education, page yes. 269, and, and I've heard you quote this often, but I want you to read it now. Actually, uh, yeah, it, it goes really well with our next point, too. It's, well, it's the uh, introduction to the next point, let's say that. Education 269, I actually shared this in a training I was doing last night. It's a great statement. It is acquaintance, she says, that awakens sympathy, and sympathy is the spring of effective ministry. And I always put it this way, you can't sympathize with somebody you don't know. Uh, what are you sympathizing with? So acquaintance, once you start to, you know, we've all had, had the experience where you, you, you may even look at somebody, you mentioned political views or something, and ah, we're just at odds, but beneath it all, we're people. Yes, we are. <laughs> and when you start to find out what a person is going through personally, it could be somebody that you were at total odds with where that acquaintance starts to awaken, wow, they're going through something mm -hmm. like people. And I understand what that, because I've gone through similar things, you know. You know, it just dawned on me as we're saying this out loud. I've never considered this. It is awaken, It is acquaintance that awakens sympathy. Yes. But awakens it in whom? Like, for instance, yeah. um, we're going to see the Ministry of Healing, page 143. Mm -hmm. Not to give away the ending, but we're headed there, okay? But it talks about how we gain the confidence of other people to mm -hmm. trust us, right? But is it possible that it that awakens sympathy on both ends. Like, they can sympathize with us, they're appreciative of what we give them, mm. and we can sympathize with their circumstances, and now we have a spring from which to draw from mm -hmm. to help more that just old-fashioned working together or helping them out, just spending time together, having conversation at all, you start to find those areas of like, well, even though we disagree, I can see why you might go that way, and yeah. you have to have some level, like the sympathy awakens in you, Yes. And then they can have a responding cord in their heart, and it starts to build a bridge for ministry, right? Amen. Which is, of course, talking about number three, the aim of all ministry is to lead people to Jesus. And I, and I, I bring this out, and I'm so glad the lesson brought this out, because especially in the context of helping the poor, helping the disenfranchised, or the uh, you know, outcasts of the world, there, was, there were some statements that were made in the lesson that if taken in isolation could lead to, I think, some incorrect conclusions. For example, on Wednesdays especially, it says here on the paragraph two, God is calling us to meet the needs of all people even though we don't know when or if they will ever accept Jesus. Okay, that's true. Okay, And then in the next paragraph, Jesus' example of trying to meet the needs of all people is a biblical principle to follow. We don't know if everyone whom he helped accepted him or not. Mm -hmm. And I would add to that, we know definitively 
that there were people who Jesus helped that didn't accept him, right? So it says to truly help others, you need to become aware of their needs, and it goes on and on and on. So it could give the impression that we don't know if they would ever accept it anyway, so we need to help just for the sake of helping on the temporal level. And while there's an element of benevolence. Right. Yeah. While there's an element of truth to that, I would say that it's incomplete because while we want to help the people just because they're hungry or just because they're poor, does not mean that that help right. stops at the temporal. Well the we get into the help. whole you know, bait and switch argument. Yes. Where where people have the idea that if you are trying to meet their physical or temporal needs and then you were to dare introduce some kind of gospel thing, you bait and switched them. Right. But there was never, ever, ever, did I say ever, a case where <laughs> Jesus didn't invite somebody. Right. There was never, like, well, I'm not going to give them the invitation to salvation. Mm-hmm. And I like to tell, I've had people say that, well, you're baiting and switching them, and we ought to just make friends. I say, no, I just am looking for a longer-term friendship than you are. Right? <laughs> Amen. I In eternity, like, like if I, because if all we do is meet their needs here, yeah, and they have not accepted Christ, this is all they get. Right. I want them to have eternity. Right. And so sometimes I think we, you even hear people say, well, I've, I've made friends with them and sympathized with them, helped them out, but I don't want to ruin the friendship. It's right. like, what are you, it's improving the friendship. It's like, if I had eternal life to offer and I don't, uh, is that even real friendship? Right. Come on now. And thus we get to Christ method. Christ method alone is quoted in Monday's. In fact, the whole point of Monday's lesson is breaking down point mm-hmm. by point this particular paragraph. Christ method alone will give true success in reaching the people. Which, Pastor Mark, I want to bring this. Apparently there are other methods, but it's only Christ alone that will bring success. Mm-hmm. But notice there's also such a thing as true success, which implies there's a false success. You can mm-hmm. persuade yourself that, oh, we've done something. Right. If you want that true success, you got to follow Christ's method. And she explains, The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. So what was Christ's method and what was the objective of that method? It was not merely to minister their temporal needs, but through that avenue to gain access to the spiritual heart. So you talk about an objective. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important to realize that this was strategic. This wasn't Jesus just randomly being nice to people and, oh, by the way, here's an... There was, a, there was a strategy. He was trying, in this statement, he was trying to win their confidence. Yes. Through all those, those things, he had an objective. Why do you try to win anybody's confidence? Because you're trying to, you're, he's looking for that next step of bidding them to follow him, but he knows he can't start there. Mm. But that was part of the plan. Right. Like, in, in, in fact, that was the, the most important part of the plan. He wants to invite them to eternity. But in order to do that, so he has a strategy. Right. And if we say, oh, I'm going to copy his method, and I'm just going to be nice to people, and, but, and we don't understand the strategy, yeah. we may never give the invitation. Yeah, this is act- absolutely not a call mm. to, quote, random acts of kindness. Yeah. It's strategic. It's purposeful benevolence, right? Because he, his ultimate objective from this paragraph is to bid them to follow me. Yeah. But if you reverse engineer them, they're not going to trust me if I just walk up and start talking. I need to win their confidence. Well, how am I going to do it? I'm going to minister to the needs. How do I yep. know what the needs are? I'm going to show sympathy for them. How am I going to know what to sympathize with? I'm going to mingle with them. So every step of the way, he's looking for the next step. Well, and it's interesting. We, As I told you, I was doing a training on this very thing last night, and, I, and somebody asked the question, like, well, how do you know, like, it, almost like there's so much I've got to overthink. Like, okay, first I have to, 
I have to uh, mingle. But then I got to uh, show my sympathy. And, then, and what's interesting is when it says acquaintance awakens sympathy and sympathy is a spring of... This, it's interesting how when you, when you start to get acquainted and, and it creates that sympathy that the ministry springs from, the rest in many ways naturally flows. Like if your goal is to bid them to follow Jesus... And so at first you start making friendships. In that acquaintance context, I think it leads to, progressively, to the things. As much as it's a strategy, I think if your goal is to get around to inviting them to accept Christ, Mm -hmm. that when you mingle with people for that purpose and the friendship begins to develop, you're not going to be constantly like, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Mm. It'll be the natural next steps as you're walking in that direction. I think so. That's beautiful. Well, Sunday's lesson, um, paragraph five says, Jesus himself demonstrates how to help the helpless and is calling us to do the same. And it breaks it down in summary form. First, we become their friends. Then we learn about their needs. And finally, we lead them to Jesus, who is the only one who can help them. This is what the men in the story did. And it's a reference to the the men who let the paralytic down through the roof, right? right? They brought him to Jesus, whatever it took, right? This is what Mm -hmm. the men in the story did. We need to do likewise in whatever situation we find ourselves. Help lead people to the only one who can save them, which is Jesus. So now this is, in a strange way, ironic, which I say Christians shouldn't use the word ironic. Providential. Because uh, as we were discussing this, one uh, statement that came to my mind is, we always talk about preparing the way for ministry by the works, Mm. but there's a fascinating statement in Ministry of Healing about the paralytic. And listen to what Ellen White says here. She says, the paralytic found in Christ healing for both the soul and the body. He needed health of soul before he could appreciate health of body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit different from that. So you, you just see this interchange between the whole healing process. It's the mm-hmm. whole man, ultimately, that's going to need to be healed, and Jesus is perfectly well, yeah. qualified to do that. And if you think about it, especially, I mean, you could dig into that story a little deeper. Why was he so burdened? Well, clearly... It impl- I think mm-hmm. there's a strong implication that whatever he had done in his life led to this situation. That's right. So he's wrestling with the physical results of it, but also the spiritual you know, headwaters of it. And then you have a society which mm-hmm. says, well, well we that's know God's that a lot fault. of people's I mean, illnesses are because of an overwhelming sense of guilt or something, that there are people are physically incapacitated mm-hmm. oftentimes because of bodily ailments. Well, and how many self-medicating practices? I mean, not bodily ailments, but emotional ailments. Exactly, but how many times, either just a direct psychosomatic, like, man, I've got this psychological, spiritual burden, and it's hurting my heart and my, you know, my body, but also the ways that people try to anesthetize the spiritual pain through physical means, whether it's alcohol or tobacco or lifestyle issues, and then we come along and say, like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Of course they shouldn't have done that. And my guess is they know they shouldn't have done that, right? Let's get past that and actually minister their needs and walk them to Jesus. But the ultimate, yeah, the ultimate point is the solution is in Jesus, which I believe the lesson brings out on Sunday. Um, yeah, paragraph five there. Paragraph five. Yep. It says, Jesus himself demonstrates how to help the helpless and is calling us to do the same. First, we become their friends. Then we learn about their needs. And finally, we lead them to Jesus, who is the only one who can help them. This is what the men in the story did, in this story did, paralytic. Mm-hmm. We need to do likewise in whatever situation we find ourselves. Help lead people to the only one who can save them, Jesus. Exactly. And 
our concluding statement actually is going to come from Sunday's lesson this time. Uh, it's from Testimonies Volume mm-hmm. 2. It says, do not wait to be told your duty. Open your eyes. And this is so, <laughs> I don't know, this is so striking to the, the last week's lesson, right? Yes. Well, who's my neighbor? It's like, I shouldn't have to tell you. Just look around, right? Mm-hmm. Do not wait to be told your duty. Open your eyes and see who are around you. Make yourselves acquainted with their helpless, afflicted, with the helpless, afflicted, and needy. Hide not yourselves from them and seek not to shut out their needs. Who gives the proofs mentioned in James of possessing pure religion, untainted with selfishness or corruption? Who are anxious to do all in their power to aid in the great plan of salvation? Mm. And I know it's supposed to be a rhetorical question, but you should say, here am I, send me. I want to be that minister to the lost. Now, we can't conclude without hitting our challenge and challenge up. And our challenge up, up. Exactly, and our up, up, up. Learn about the challenge is learn about foreigners or non Christians who live in your country and they give some resources to that just to kind of survey your landscape, who's around. And the challenge up is identify someone within your sphere of influence and begin regularly praying for the person after answering the following questions Is this person my friend? According to Jesus' model of friendship, do I know the needs of his or her life? How can I lead him or her to Jesus for healing? And again, to your point, the challenge up, up then is don't just think about it, right. learn about it. Or even pray about so it. So the challenge up is you're going to begin praying for somebody and thinking, what can I do to reach them? Well, then do it. Then do Don't it. Exactly. At the appeal of Jesus is still today. Do this and live. That's right. right. So we want to challenge up, up, up that all of us mm. should be active in this Christ-like ministry. Amen. Will you give us a word of closing prayer? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for the opportunity we've had to study together. We thank you for these lessons from your word. We pray, Lord, they would not first of all, we pray that we would be thinking about them and pondering Mm. them and thinking about ways that we can be more involved with reaching those who are in need around us. But Lord, we pray you would help us to go beyond thinking about it and be doers of your word and that we would be able to make an impact on the lives of others and lead them to know Jesus. We ask and pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. Amen.